good. <clears throat> Looks like it's still dark um, outside. Um, uh, Al- Alvin has prayed for us uh, as we turn to the Lord's Word. Uh, if there is a passage to have open before you this morning, it would be Hebrews 12, which is page uh, 1,211. And we'll refer to that in part of the sermon, but the nature of these sermons will be a, a, a little bit more uh, around the place. Um, pretty much every Bible verse I'll mention will be on the screen if it's not in Hebrews 12. Um, but sometimes things come to mind as I speak. I wonder what brings you here this morning. What have you come for? What do you think is happening in our gathering this morning? Uh, I suppose in England, uh, it might be the church bells that get you here. That's what they were for, to, to remind you that something was happening that you might want to be at. In the old days, it might have been trumpets that were blasted uh, in the Old Testament, at least to gather God's people. Maybe you received a WhatsApp this morning from a friend saying, looking forward to seeing you at church. I did wonder if that's the modern equivalent of the church bells. Uh, if we just send a WhatsApp to everybody, looking forward to seeing you this morning at church. Well, I wonder how you got ready for this morning. What did you expect to see? Did you consider things that you wouldn't be able to see as a factor in coming? It's worth asking yourself on all sorts of levels, uh, what are you doing here? Well, we're at the beginning of um, five sermons. I think they're going to take uh, uh, six weeks. I think there's a, there's a gap in the middle. I can't quite remember. Uh, and we're going to think about what we do when we are here. Um, and here uh, are the five C's. A call, which is what we'll consider today. Uh, confession, commitment, communion, and commission. We'll work through all those as part of what happens when we come. I, did, I thought they were a bit boring, but I couldn't find a better set of five. I did have vacation, verdict, veracity, victory, and vanguard, but they needed a bit more explaining, so I stuck with those. So that's what we've got to do. And I hope, and certainly this is true for me in my preparation over the last couple of weeks, that... Um, just to to consider more closely what it is that's happening as we gather and what God is doing has been so um, exciting or astonishing, just having eyes open to that a little bit more, just spending that time to think about it. The, the, The importance of it, but also the attractiveness of it. That by the end of this series of five, Here's here's an optimistic vicar for you. Uh, The prospect of Sunday mornings will simply be irresistible to all of us. But there's some truth in that, as I've been prepping uh, for this. So I hope that by the end of this series, we, 
There is more of that uh, for us and amongst us. <clears throat> so, uh, call is what we're thinking about uh, today. Um, and it's God who calls us. It's God who calls us, and he does so by his word. It's the effective power of God's word that calls his people together. Uh, In fact, it's God's word that calls everything into being. We see that right right at the beginning of the Bible, at the creation story, God creates by his word. And he blesses by his word. He pronounces that things are blessed. And then when sin enters that creation, it's by his word that curse falls too. It's all by his word. But it is this same word that calls us in redemption, in rescue from sin, in calling us back to himself. So when God starts to gather a people for himself, you can think of Abraham back in Genesis 12, he does so by his word. So he reconstitutes a people for himself who were lost in sin by his word. And the Bible talks about covenants. Uh, And covenants are relationships that are established by words. We underestimate the significance of words. But marriage, for example, is a covenant, a relationship established by words, those famous vows. And it's the same with God. It was the same with God right back in the Garden of Eden, where he gave that command to Adam and Eve about the tree. That was the foundation of the covenant relationship between God and people, established by his word. Similarly with Moses at the mountain. We read a little bit about that in Hebrews 12. The law given, the word of the covenant. A relationship, a covenant is a relationship established by words. But since the fall, since the arrival of sin in the world, covenants that God makes are established both by word and by blood because sin has to be dealt with in order for God and his people to be reconciled. A sacrifice for sin, fulfilled, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we say God calls us, we're saying something rather more than we might just like, you know, a a sort of gentle invitation. God calls us by his word and it is through his word that things come into being. We as a body of people exist because of the effective power of God's word to call us to himself. So when it comes to us gathering as his people, 
um, logically and perhaps even in the timing of the service, who speaks first? Who speaks first? I've wrestled with this because obviously I've led a lot of services. And you know, it's nice. Should I start with a joke? Should I, should I just you know, start with that warm hello? Or you know, will he find a seat? Or does there need to come a point where we recognize that actually the first speaker at our gathering ought to be God because he's the one who makes us who we are and gives us that identity. God calls us. So starting with Psalm 95 this morning was great, wasn't it? There is God's word instructing us as we say it before him and to one another, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. You can think of all sorts of verses to start a service with. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. God telling us what we've come to do, calling us to do that. Or you can declare who he is. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. That the word of God comes to us first, so we have some idea of what we're supposed to be doing. God calls us. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. When we hear that, we're being called to worship him. It might be Christ-centered. You could start the service like this. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Who is the God that we've come before? God calls us to recognize his son. Again, uh, from Hebrews. His call that has power to recreate us. We come at his invitation. Trumpets, bells, whatsapps, jokes, hellos. They're all precursors really to the one who speaks first and calls us as we gather. God speaks first in our covenant relationship, a relationship established by words. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God calls us to worship him. Now, there's no headings, really. There's just one long sentence that we'll finish eventually. Uh, God calls us to worship him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the call for us. That's what he's calling us to. Because that is the ultimate human purpose. As created beings, to honor our creator. Any idea of um, uh, genuine human fulfillment, assuming that we're created beings, if we acknowledge that we're created beings, genuine human fulfillment cannot be apart from a relationship with the Creator. 
That's what we were made for originally. Back in the garden. Remember, we're described as being made in the image of God. Back in the garden. Um, one of the ways the New Testament sort of looks at, at that is it talks about sin as falling short of the glory of God. Because somebody who is truly the image of God reflects God's glory in all that they say and do. So to be made in God's image and to, to be the image of God uh, before sin is not just to reflect God's goodness and wisdom. It is only to reflect God's goodness and wisdom. But of course we fall short of that in our sin. But it's what we were made for originally as Alvin was praying. It's what we were made for originally, but worshipping God is also what we are made for eternally. To enter into an eternity where we never fall short of the glory of God again. That we're so encompassed in his love, that the, and the whole of life is so unimaginably good and satisfying and lasting that everything we do is only and always revealing God's goodness and wisdom and glory. That's what human beings are for. It's what we were created for originally and what we're saved to eternally in Christ. But we fell from that. We disobeyed the command. We don't, oh, I don't know which world you live in, but certainly even in the vicarage, not everybody wholly reflects the glory of God all the time. Believe it or not. We've fallen short of that. But we're being made ready for eternity again. Those who have heard God's call and have been reconstituted into his people, well, he calls us to worship him. But we're not there yet. What we're originally made for, what we're eternally made for, but we're in this in-between time, the now and not yet. And so when God calls us to worship, he's calling us to a regular foretaste of that eternity. That's how we should think about what we're doing now. A foretaste of that eternity. Where we worship God, we recognize his glory. We are united with one another. A foretaste of his glory. But because we're not there yet, what we're doing now is also a necessary renewal for living life in this world until we get there. That's also what we should be thinking about what's happening now. A foretaste of eternity and a necessary renewal for living now. And you can see this in Hebrews 12. So here are contrasts between old and new 
in Hebrews 12. Do you remember the first paragraph from verse... uh, I can't read it, it's too small. 18. Um, You have not come... And then verse 22, but you have come. And the contrast are these. Between the earthly, everything described for Moses, you can touch and hear and see. All this, all the, all the, all the earthliness. Whereas, but you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't hear it. But that's where we have come. To where God truly is. It truly is a foretaste. Somehow. Come to that. There's a distance for Moses in the old. But now we come to God. You have come to God. Verse 23. There's an unbearable word for the people in Moses' time. They don't want to hear anymore. It's too much. But there's a better word, verse 24, for us. Speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out for justice from the ground. But the blood of Christ proclaims forgiveness for all who turn to him. Uh, There was terror at the mountain on earth but we're called to thankfulness reverence and awe in verse 28 hebrews recognizes that there's there's a we're in this now and not yet i mean you could just take that right hand column and say well that's heaven isn't it well yes it's a foretaste What we have now is a foretaste. Hebrews recognizes in 25 to 27 that there is something still more to come. There's still that final shaking so that what remains cannot be shaken, that eternal kingdom that we inherit. And so the writer says, so what should you do now? Yeah, there will be eternal thankfulness, reverence and awe. But what should you do now where you should engage in that same thankfulness and proper honour for God? I've got God contrasted uh, in uh, the two columns because that's wrong. God remains the same. God God is still a consuming fire at the end of the reading which sounds a lot like Sinai, the mountain. And God is unchanging. But he has made a way for us to have this foretaste of heaven and to be renewed along the way until we get there, even though he is the consuming fire, the pure God who cannot, face, uh, cannot live with sin at all, And yet he has made a way through the word of his gospel, which constitutes us as his people. He has made a way for us to be made ready for that eternity with him. And so God calls us to worship him regularly as a foretaste of that eternity and also as a necessary renewal 
because we need help to get there over the weeks and the years. So if the kind of question at the end of the first bit of who speaks first, the question now is, who is changed? Well, clearly, God is not changed. But what we are doing now is one of the ways that God changes us, giving us, um, giving us more a view of heaven so we're more ready for it, and giving, making us more equipped in the world to live for him until we get there. So we're changed by God. You have come to God. He is present by his Spirit doing this in us. And that's because of his covenant, loving commitment to us, his people. And he's doing it for us with one another. So the Spirit is at work because God is present. He is here. But the Spirit is also the one who unites us, that this is being done to us together. That gives us a real identity. When we say God calls us to worship him, there's a real identity that we hold together as one people. But it's even more than that. Because we're united with all the faithful through all generations. We've said it so many times in our service. With angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. See, the Spirit unites us with heaven. So we're a little outcrop, a little outpost of heaven this morning. By God's Spirit. Now this is all, this is all, you know, Moses you'd think might be a bit easier. Because you're at the mountain, you can see it, you can hear it, you can, you can, you can, what was the other one? Can't remember. Touch, yes. You can do all that at the mountain. But what has the writer to Hebrews just said? Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So I can say, without having to give any evidence to your senses, this is what God does for us when we gather to worship him. He makes us more ready for heaven and equips us to live for him until we get there. God calls us to worship him well, obviously then, for which we need his help. This is not natural to us. This is something that God has to recreate by his word in us and which he has to effect in us. Just for us to be able to see these things by faith is the work of God's spirit in us. Um, 
Uh, I'm not sure why it's at the bottom, but hey. Uh, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when God calls us to worship, we need his help. The Spirit helps us. The psalmist says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Because when we think about this, this, this pure, original and eternal worship of God, we can only recognize the divided natures of our hearts. That we are not always inclined as we should be. So give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart that is more set on joining you in heaven and give me a heart that is better trained to live faithfully all along the way. There's this famous prayer. This is an excellent prayer at the beginning of a service. God knows to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hidden. We're not pretending that we're somehow these pure worshippers of God, all on our own. No, we need God's help. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. See, although that prayer is nearly always at the beginning of a service, and that's quite right, we've been called to worship, but we need God's help. It's not only about the 90 minutes that follow the prayer. It is about that. It's that God would help us now, but it's also about being renewed for the days to come until God renews us again. God calls us to worship him for which we need his help, which he always gives. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God calls us to worship him for which we need his help, which he always gives. I wonder how high your expectations are for, uh, well, for a number of things, for making progress in the Christian life. Or I wonder how high your expectations are for Sunday mornings. What did bring you here today? What were your expectations? Did you realize that you were coming for a foretaste of heaven to gather around the throne of God with all the company of heaven? Made a people by the the word that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, the blood of Christ. Coming to the living God. A foretaste of that. And that foretaste helping us to be renewed so that we hear from God 
so that we'd be better prepared to live for him for the next six days until we can do it all again. I'm not going to get into debates about when this should happen. But this is clearly more than a small group or a Christian union or doing something on your own or even having times of family worship. So what are your expectations? What brings you here today? What are you looking for? How do we get ready for coming to this? Should anything change about what happens before we get here? Should anything change about what we do before the service when we are here? What are we getting ready for? How are we doing that? It's always struck me, well, I think, I mean, it seemed obvious to me when I'd started preparing. Persecuted church, why do they keep meeting? Because they know something of this, that it's so important. It's so attractive to them, even under persecution. I said I'd try and say something about being on time because the call comes at the beginning of the service. To hear that call from God, to recognize our need for his help and to hear the reassurance that he will help us. If if, if you do kind of just kind of roll in a bit, it's like joining a conversation late. You don't quite know what's already been said and... And, and where we are, and it's always a little bit awkward to get on the right footing in that conversation when you join it late. So don't miss God's call to us. I was struck how much people missed this during lockdown. And that's an evidence that This is what God is doing, something more important and more significant than perhaps we've recognized. So God's call to worship, it's not bells or trumpets or WhatsApps. It's not just the beginning of the service or getting us to concentrate on God. It is those things. But God is calling us into his covenant relationship to enter his presence together and to have dealings with him. Now we may fall short in all sorts of ways on a Sunday morning here at Holy Trinity. I'm sure we do. That's partly why we had a review of Sundays. But maybe our expectations fall short as well as to what we should be expecting and what we're looking for and why we're getting ready to come and why we're coming with others and and the things that we're saying to them as we come. That we're being called by him to a foretaste and a renewal with all the company of heaven assured of his help 
under his covenant love. If you've been in church for a while uh, and all this is new to you, then just give thanks that God has been doing this for you without you realising. If you're new to church altogether and all this is new to you, I'd say give it a go. The God of heaven invites you to join in. And if you've been in church for a while and nothing that I've said is new to you, then I encourage you to think about how can you be here and present and help others to enter more deeply into what God calls us to as we gather. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to hear your call to worship you. Please cleanse our hearts. And united with your Son, the Lord Jesus, and with with all believers of every generation, prepare us for heaven and renew us and equip us for living for you until we see you there. According to your unfailing, steadfast, covenant love for us, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.